welcome to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. But you know what? I actually don't know whether we're using the technology today that we'll actually end up using in two years' time or, or five years' time. I actually think that at some point they'll converge into something that's, that's different than today. Today, we host a roundtable on banks, solutions and blockchain, featuring ANZ's Nigel Dobson, Lee Marnie, Hari Janakaraman and Hishan Paris. We hope you enjoy the discussion. One of the questions that we broadly got asked was, is, is blockchain fundamentally a collaborative technology? And I, I do believe that's the case. Um, in anything that we've done, and we can go on and talk about that in a moment, that anything we've done in, at ANZ necessarily involves, uh, at least from a pilot point of view, another counterparty, and then to really scale things and make it worthwhile um, to get a utility network effect. Um, we found that um, multiple additional parties um, joining a network um, and building that. Uh, genuine network effect is, is quite valuable and the technology lends itself perfectly to that. So one of the things that we talked about in the last session was our work around bank guarantees and, and Hari in particular has been leading that from the business side um, and, and Hari it is really a collaborative technology and, and you know just update us on where we've got to at the industry for that. Yeah absolutely it is and, and the from, 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 a, from, a, from a banking services perspective and what each bank can do today and can, could have done many for many years now is to provide an electronic channel for our customers. But what we are increasingly finding out from our customers is they want to have a single uniform way to talk to their banks, record information and validate that information. And using distributed ledger technology uh, to achieve that uh, means that the banks have to come together and collaboratively come up with an industry utility which can help our customers. So bank guarantees is a is a good example where uh, it's, it's while all banks have that product, the products is pre- product is pretty much homogeneous, which means it's the same product across all banks. The product itself is not different; it's just the services b- provided by the banks around the product which is different. So, which then makes it easier for banks to collaborate and provide a solution for the customer. And that, that's the beauty of the network, isn't it? And yeah. um, one of the things that you always get asked when you have these situations where. Um, uh, genuine competitors are getting into rooms and, and talking about sharing networks and um, databases for the good of their customers. Um, there's always this question about security of information um, and how do you share information across across a network like this. So Hashan, what are the, what are the attributes of, of the blockchain that we be dealing with um, that ensure that our customers' uh, data is um, protected but also our collaborator slash competitor data is uh, protected as well? Sure. So I, th- I think uh, one of the I think concepts of, of blockchain is the anonymity factor that that it is completely anonymous. And then a lot of people are asking like you know what's the um, I mean what's preventing from you know this being actually a base for crimes you know crimes mm. to be committed. So um, which is obviously a fair questions like if you're completely anonymous in the in the cha- in the chain. So then uh, what uh, what actually prevents you from um, doing something like that or, or whatnot. Um, so the point is, uh, even though it's an anonymization is actually a, a base foundation of blockchain, uh, the point is um, when you commit a transaction into the blockchain, you are very well identified by everyone. 
Um, so blockchain has this concept of uh, zero knowledge proof. So this is a research yeah. area that's uh, it's going on pretty well. So that what that means is in, in simple terms, like without decrypting a payload, so you, I mean something that you get onto your ledger, you actually verify um, who's actually sending this to mm. you. So and then whether that actually confirms <laughs> to the business rules that that you have agreed to. Um, so that way um, it is very well protected. So um, so. It's it's completely fine. So this is the beauty of blockchain. It's actually it's completely fine to share your information, the most private information out there with the with the chain um, or the network. But um, it'll always identify who actually gave you that information, who actually co contributed that information to the chain. At the same time, um, protect it against any any malfunctions, mm. so or any intrusions to that. Um, to that piece of information where it's not intended to be looked at. Yeah, and I think that fundamental understanding has given um, organisations, large organisations like the large banks, that level of comfort, where that we where we will go into a network proposition like the Bank Guarantee Consortium that Harry mentioned before. Um, Lee, I was going to ask you, what do you think? How big can these networks get? Can they get industrial scale for to solve? customer problems and what do you see what do you see happening we've got four banks in the bank guarantee um, proposition we think will grow that but what do you what do you think is a is an aspirational size of a network uh, interesting question I think Nigel the first thing I'd say is that in order for us to get a result on any of the POCs that we've done to this point we sort of had to start with a limited number of actors yeah. so that we could prove that un, un, underneath it all the fundamental problem that we were trying to solve could be solved yeah once you've done that and you've worked through some of the initial, I suppose, teething problems of not only the problem that you're trying to solve but how the actors interact with the network, there's no reason why it, you know, it can't continue to scale to a, to a significant number of actors. In the case of um, uh, our proof of concept around uh, reconciliation of Nostro Vostro accounts, mm. you know, initially we... we uh, we partnered with another bank um, in the United States, um, but once we proved that out, effectively the technology could use could be used to solve the problem for every bank. Mm -hmm. In fact, we donated, uh, you know, our, our IP and, and and code base and so on and so forth to Swift for them to um, leverage out to a number of uh, parties that they deal with across the globe. It's over thirty, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, around yeah. about that. Yeah, <clears throat> but but there's no reason why it couldn't couldn't have been everyone. Yeah, that's but, right. Um, <clears throat> in, in in fact, on the performance guarantees one, similarly, um, it could be every every participating bank that issues a performance guarantee mm -hmm. in Australia. Uh, and similarly, we've seen, you know, when, when you actually leverage the technology down into other areas, you've got a significant number of actors. Um, effectively unlimited in the case of technology such as Bitcoin. Yeah. So I think the scalability of the of the technology has been proven. It, it, it really gets back to me, you know, when you're actually deploying a technology, looking at the problem you're trying to solve, yeah. making sure that there's a decent use case for using the technology um, amongst trusted or untrusted parties mm. and making sure that if you're going to deploy the technology that um, it actually solves a real-world business problem and not just using it because... It's cool. So I think that's been really, really interesting input. And, and to bring back the, the case of bank guarantees, I mean, what we had in the past was this archaic paper-based process um, where banks were issuing on behalf of the applicant uh, a guarantee to the beneficiary, the landlord, um, and that piece of paper would literally traverse from the, the bank branch to the landlord's office and it would be kept in a filing cabinet. Um, 
And one of the other thing I was going to mention was that not only does the blockchain allow us to share information reliably amongst all these counterparties who are dealing in this network, but it's also a driver for digitization, right? So what, what Hari had was this, was this paper document, which is now a digital document, uh, housed on a secure network and available to parties that are enabled and entitled to and trusted to, to view the data and the data that they're entitled to. So it's a really great solution. It drives digitization. It allows the sharing of information um, very reliably, securely, and we get we get very happy customers and very happy uh, bankers. So it's a pretty good outcome so. in that regard. Um, the other thing that I was remain fascinated by in, in terms of process digitization is trade finance, Hari. I know this is an area of uh, your perspective uh, specific expertise and you spend a lot of time here looking at paper documents and uh, even today trade is quite largely paper-based and there's been a lot of thinking uh, around how we might digitize and leverage distributed ledger technology to um, to improve that process and could you just give us some examples of where ANZ's playing at the moment in that space? Yeah uh, sure and, and just to uh, further your point with an example so international trade has pretty much remained unchanged for centuries mm -hmm. right and and we still rely on movement of paper from from typically from the seller to the buyer which then enables the buyer to take possession of the goods and therefore pay and and this process involves multiple intermediaries uh, from from the bank of the seller to the bank of the buyer then you have shipping companies insurance companies uh, inspection companies customs authorities etc and it's always been a difficult exercise to digitize the entire entire flow because the technologies don't necessarily converge and the cost of uh, getting everyone on the same page from a digital documentation has always been difficult. And what, what is happening in the industry for the last 12 to 18 months is uh, you're seeing a lot of financial service providers, especially big banks, uh, international banks and regional banks coming together, uh, forming uh, utility networks. Uh, the primary purpose of these networks is using distributed ledger technology to share information. And like Hesham pointed out, this is about sharing, uh, validating that information, mm -hmm. which was previously unable to be validated. So what it means for our customers today, for example, a customer who's shipping uh, a cotton from Australia to, to China, for example, has to necessarily go and present a proof to their bank, which is in form of a piece of paper to say, here is the proof that I have made the shipment and the bank may agree to finance based on that proof. Mm. But from, from the exporter's perspective here, they start incurring cost as soon as they get a purchase order from their buyer in China. And today banks don't have a mechanism to validate there is a, a, a real purchase order. Using distributed ledger technology, what we can achieve is we can digitize that flow of purchase order to an acceptance of an order, which then enables financial companies like banks to get in early and say, okay, now we know that there's a real transaction happening and that gives us the comfort to finance earlier and these are achieved by um, intrabank networks and and this is also something which has been picked up by uh, some regulators across the asia pacific region uh, the singapore regulator and the hong kong regulator being an example where um, they are enabling banks in their countries and eventually across those countries to set up networks where this information can be shared and and ANZ is part of a uh, few of these initiatives. Um, we are part of the initiative with the, the Singapore Monetary Authority and the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. Uh, eventually, uh, another uh, initiative to join these two networks, so which creates a, 
a digital uh, highway, if you want to call it, between uh, Australia and Asia-Pacific region, which is going to uh, uh, help our customers a great deal. And we are also working with other international banks to establish a network which uh, can potentially cover about up to 120 countries where we share international trade data, which is going to help the financing of our customers' transactions. I mean, I think it's amazing that um, you know, you're getting this endorsement from highly respected regulators at the MAS, HKMA. You know, I've, I've been really encouraged to see they've got their head around the problem, uh, as you've just described it very well, um, and now they're endorsing and, and supporting the development of, of these, these networks. Sean, I was going to ask you, you know, you get your head in the, under the hood here in the code base and you get into the technology. Yeah. From where you sit, is there any leading, any leading technology or are they all got different kinds of attributes amongst the top three or four? Can you just give us a rundown of what you're thinking? Yeah, um, look, I, I think uh, th there, I mean, um, ever since Bitcoin was released, uh, the whole idea of blockchain came into picture and then a lot of companies, uh, a lot of tech companies, a lot of non-tech companies, they actually went on a race, a race to, to figure out what, what's the best uh, uh, blockchain implementation. So um, the good thing is all of, almost all of these things are open source and then there are a lot of people actually mm -hmm. contributing to it. So you can't really attribute the success of um, a single blockchain implementation to a, a single entity, but it's actually um, you know collectively owned, which is the best part. Um, personally, uh, I feel like Hyperledger is um, is ahead of the game right now. Um, the, I mean, that's a personal opinion. So. Um, some people might say that uh, you know something like Corda is ahead of the game. Um, there are a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of banks, a lot of uh, non-financial um, companies who are actually using um, other blockchain implementations. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, I mean, all these uh, the the good thing is all of these implementations they're actually trying their best uh, to become enterprise ready. Um, that that's the good thing. So earlier. Um, when, when we started our journey as ANZ, um, almost all of these were as proof of concept, even at the point of um, the blockchain, uh, that blockchain fabric implementation. So the, the whole base implementation of it was a proof of concept for these um, yep. contributors. But now they have actually turned around and said, all right, this is a technology that we can actually go to market with. Um, and then kind of turned around and said, all right, let's 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 do this in an enterprise um, scenario. So from a proof of concept to enterprise, there's a few things that we need to consider, mm -hmm. like uh, you need to have higher security concerns, you need to have um, performance, your scalability sure. comes into picture. All these things um, you know, matter when you go into a, a enterprise-grade implementation. So I think, um, as I said, Hyperledger is somewhat out there. Um, I believe Coda, um, Ripple, they're, they're pretty close um, in, in terms of what, what they do yeah. um, and there are um, non-blockchain distributed ledger implementations that are coming into the picture as well I think they're, they're still at research stage but I think that's very 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 good mm. um, to the whole blockchain idea as a whole I think Hashgraph is one of those things that uh, that's out there in the market right now a lot of people are talking about it yes. um, so where that's going and how that's going to work out uh, from us I think they have solved one problem that every other blockchain implementation is is lagging behind which is scalability um, right. and and yes. the fact that um, how how far can you scale up and how far can you uh, take transactions so what, what do we measure scalability and so just give us give our listeners yeah the, yeah so the, um i, I believe yeah i believe the point is this right so the, at the end of the day um if you're thinking of mainstream adoption of blockchain technology so that that means like everything that you do ever with cash or, or currency per se is backed by cryptocurrency mm. Uh, when I say cryptocurrency, I need to be clear. Um, I don't mean Bitcoin, mm. but it could be something else, which is like an Australian dollar, which is backed up by some kind of cryptocurrency implementation, which is pretty good, right? Um, so when you 
uh, when you do something like that, uh, so if, if you think in that scale, um, you can't go at a transactions per second around 100 or 200. Yeah. You're thinking 100,000 or 200,000. Yeah. Per second. Per second. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you think every single transaction that every single Australian would do ever is backed up by some kind of blockchain implementation, then, yeah, you need to get that kind of a, right. a level of maturity right. in your implementation. So yeah. I believe so far the only thing that has proved to be somewhere near there is Hashgraph. Yes. Uh, compared to other blockchains because blockchains are inherently uh, supposed to slow down just to make sure that there is no leader that is taking advantage of um, hacking. So this is, a, again, mm. a research area that's going on. Um, so if, if you know about blockchain, this is uh, something that's been out there for a while now. Um, so that leader uh, appointment is a, is a very important thing. Where Hashgraph, you don't really care about it. You reach consensus within a node, which is very, very good. Um, so I, th I think we need to explore in that area. So areas where scalability is at the heart of... Uh, the technology is, yep. is where I believe blockchain is headed. Especially when you look at, I mean, the, the, the trade supply chain that Harry was talking about earlier. I mean, there's, an, there's a phenomenal amount of transactions that would have to get processed in that holy grail for this technology to succeed. If you look at Bitcoin at the moment, we, you know, Bitcoin's only processing about 150,000 transactions a day. That's mm -hmm. right. That, right. That amounts to be about seven yeah. a second. Yeah. And, right. and, and, right. yeah. At a cost of anywhere between 100 and $170 a transaction. Um, yeah. And the transaction confirmation time is, you know, it's not seconds like we'd expect if you're going to purchase something in a retail. It's, sure. it's many, many minutes. Uh, you can't just sit down and, you know, after you buy something, just sit down on the couch and wait for it to confirm That's before right. you walk out the store. Yeah. So, you know, when we're looking at scalability and financial services, I think this is really one of the things that we've latched onto. I mean, uh, as you know, Hasham, we, we, we chose uh, an, an initial investigation into Hyperledger. Mm. Because we felt that the fabric was, you know, was 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 built for you know large scale industrialized financial services, but you know what? I actually don't know whether we're using the technology today that we'll actually end up using in two years' time or, yeah. or five years' time. I actually think that at some point they'll converge into something that's that's different than today. Maybe it's a combination of Hashgraph and and Hyperledger and other things, but. But I think that the technology is evolving so quickly that uh, I don't even think we're actually using the technology today that we'll be using tomorrow. Yeah, 100% I'm sure, that's, I'm sure that's true. I mean, what, the other thing that I was going to bring us um, around to talk about was nothing that we've done in our relatively contained um, pilots and, and, and experiments has involved currency or coin or tokens or whatever it is. But these make the news every day. Um, and we're seeing that not only can you trade, um, you know, all manner of cryptocurrencies, but you can issue your own. You can issue an ICO, initial coin offering, and fund whatever venture you might have that is built supposedly around some sort of blockchain technology. And this is a fascinating new way of um, attracting investors for the first instance, and also perhaps a, a really interesting way of, um, you know, um, funding a, a new business uh, almost from nothing. Um, but there is such fervour around this space. Um, what are your thoughts just generally, um, or Lee, we'll, we'll continue with you because you did mention currency, but um, there is a, a certain amount of hype and, and potentially the bubble that is in the, in, the, in the press almost every other day. What are your thoughts on this? I think that, um, well, first of all, I think that there are a number of countries that have actually started to ban ICOs. Mm. So I, 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 I'm not quite sure whether we should get excited about ICOs, yeah. um, although it's a legit, I mean, obviously in, in areas where it's appropriate, it's a legitimate form of, of raising. Strong message of caveat emptor though, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a label um, that goes with it. 
but you know, I think that that you know, interestingly, the the currency thing I think has got a lot of um, a lot of promise. I actually think that you know we've got each bank runs traditional rails, and some banks that have introduced real time payments have got new rails to do it. I actually think there's an interesting parallel for digitization of you know real currencies on a blockchain. I know that Singapore has done, I think there are two stages through a pilot that they've done in digitising yes. a Singapore dollar. Urban. Uh, yeah. Project uh, Urban. Yeah. It is, it's really interesting to yeah. see the results of that. I'd suggest yeah. anyone who's listening to this, go and have a look at it because it's mm. got some great, great, great learnings out of it. Um, and the ability, if you use the right, you know, I suppose the right fabric behind it to do instantaneous payments with a real currency between you know between two or more parties, mm. I think that's really got a lot of a lot of promise. So I I personally I'd like to see a lot more um, or a greater amount of innovation in digitising real currencies yeah. on a blockchain for the purpose of instantaneous and real time payments, in parallel to the existing rails that already exist in financial services uh, in each country. Mm. I think it's really interesting. I'd like I, to. Yeah. I admit that I'm also fascinated by that prospect. But Shashan, mm. is it real money? It's uh, well, it's perceived value, right? I mean, the, the the concept of money. I mean, if you go back to the creation of currency, it's actually perceived value. Like you know, like how much do you think that the Australian dollar is worth? Is what a U.S. citizen would pay to buy Australian dollar. So yeah. it's 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 that simple. It's supply and demand. Yeah. It's basic economics. So if you if you think about it, then. If, if you create something out of thin air and then everyone of us believe that there's perceived value in it, well, yeah, it becomes something like valuable, like gold. Mm. Like if you all agree that gold is not valuable anymore, then, you know, gold will lose value and then no one would really care about gold. That's right. That's, it's the exact same concept. My, I can make my wife lovely jewellery out of gold. I can't give her anything out of Bitcoin. So, <laughs> so Harry, what do you think? <laughs> uh, being probably the least technology-oriented person here, um, I... The, the concept of underlying technology, like Lee said, is of a lot of interest. Uh, but what, what uh, amuses me and also worries me sometimes is the hype which goes around it. And especially if you, if you look at, uh, in the recent past, there have been so many companies who have just said they are going to get into the blockchain business and you see their share prices just skyrocketing. Long Island Tea Company, if you want to go and have a look at it. The latest one which amused me was Banana Coin, yeah, I saw uh, which which the value of the the token is linked to the value of the underlying price of bananas, which is fair. But then there is a promise also made that the value will rise. But how is it going to rise if the banana prices are not going to rise? So that is something which I couldn't figure out. Mm-hmm. So I, I see a lot of those um, uh, those types of uh, speculations as well, which we need to be careful about. But one thing which has been good all this hype is it has it has encouraged different players to come and and work together to say okay there is something new going on here and we want to be part of it and and from from an international trade perspective that has really enabled uh, banks who previously would not necessarily like to come and sit together to solve a common problem have saying that, okay, there is something we can do here with this technology. So that is definitely helps. The underlying technology is excellent, mm. but it's just the use of it and whether do we need so many cryptocurrencies, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's I interesting you say that. I mean, the, the, we talked about the collaborative effort before, uh, notwithstanding the technology is collaborative. I think that the, what it's driving is, is something that I really enjoy, which is being able to you know, have banks that are traditionally competitors in some markets and non-competitors in others just working together to solve a problem. 
right? The the the, the, the innovation that that I think has going to is going to drive, and in fact, what it's done for us over the past couple of years with the proof of concepts that we've run, it's it's brought. If anything, it's brought us closer together in solving common problems. Mm. For us, mainly around efficiency, but you know, doesn't doesn't dismiss the currency problem we talked about earlier. I, I really, I really like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I, I think we all would agree that the um, the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency phenomenon has has turned what was designed to be a payment mechanism, a value translation mechanism, into an asset class, um, and that clearly is not now an appropriate use case. Um, and then you go to the point you made before, Lee, which was about how, how much does it cost and how long does it take to use Bitcoin as a, as a transfer mechanism? It's just wildly uneconomic now. Yep. Um, so what fascinates me is for our customers, what do they want to hear? They want to hear faster, cheaper, particularly international payments. Do we think that there are legs here for a kind of stable coin, a stable Australian dollar coin issued by perhaps the Reserve Bank or even a bank or banks who can, can generate a token that uh, a customer can put in their crypto wallet, also issued uh, by a bank perhaps, um, much like a bank account. But that enables and facilitates rapid international transactions at low cost and high speed. Is that viable in your in your view, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I think the, I mean, going back to what Harry said and what Lee said, I think the, um, other than the scalability part of the technology, mm. like if you leave that aside, the I mean, if you're going mainstream, the, the part where where Bitcoin or cryptocurrency would actually differ from some cash that you see out there is there is government behind it. There's a reserve bank behind it who has vouched for the fact that I'm, I'm actually responsible for this currency. So there's wide acceptance on it. So where, when in cryptocurrency, there is, there's no regulation on it. So yes. that, that's the reason why it's probably not mainstream adopted. And that's why yeah. like banks, as we as banks, we, we wouldn't really trust it because um, that it's, it's not regulated. So, sure. But in, in the future, uh, I totally see a, a opportunity for banks and, and the rest of the world um, as a whole, the economy as a, as a whole, that, that can go into that kind of a market where you actually, uh, if, if a government is issuing cryptocurrency and saying, all right, my you know, citizens of my country, they use cryptocurrency and then this is how we're going to work. And then, and the rest of the world, you know, falls in line for that. Yep. Obviously, not everyone needs to be in the same cryptocurrency. As far as we understand, it's all digitized. Then, yeah, I mean, the, the moment uh, you, you do that, then your international trade, all the settlements, all the uh, the proposition of value between one currency to another becomes, mm. you know, split seconds. Absolutely. So, I mean, Harry, just thinking that through, right, for, again, from a customer lens, if you add in the the ability of the distributed ledger technology to efficiently share information and value, as Ashan just explained, that transforms trade, finance, and international commerce, doesn't it? Absolutely. So that that provides an ability for either the buyer or seller to immediately monetize uh, their, 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 their goods, yeah. their commodity, what, or, or their service. It depends on what, what, what they're doing. Um, the There's still one, one aspect which uh, is not necessarily solved through digitization is you still live in a physical world and when we talk about international trade you still need to physically move goods or services so that that still is going to uh, remain but the ability to monetize immediately just to uh, just extend what what was previously said so if you if you have an international coin backed by uh, a bank or a regulated institution and you can add value to saying that if, if the buyer has sold buyer has accepted the goods which have been sold by the seller 
and that is recorded in a central distributed ledger, then you can add a value to that immediately and you can take that value out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the minute a government stands, <coughs> makes a statement says, I stand behind this digital currency and yes. you can also exchange data on this platform, I think you'll then you know, that's going to be the litmus test and uh, I suppose initial driver behind wider and more mainstream adoption. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that, that lets us as bankers reimagine the whole world of international trade, commerce and clearing settlement. Um, as you say, particularly with the endorsement of the, the regulated bodies or regulating bodies. So, look, I think um, we've heard some really interesting views. We've heard about what we've been doing in trade, what we've been doing in areas like bank guarantees, what sort of technologies we should be keeping our eye on, um, and what sort of business uh, and use cases there are out there for uh, distributed ledgers and potentially some of these more stable cryptocurrencies in the future. Uh, and I really look forward to speaking to you in the future about this again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes On Air. Blue Notes On Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod. <laughs>